0: Uh, good evening. Um, for those of you in the California team, I don't know you well. Uh, Drew Fowler, sitting with my family and Rachel earlier. Um, nice to meet you guys. Um, I see you guys had a really interesting week, so uh, Luke, I have a question for you. Um, you guys met uh, some of the people who had AIDS, uh, and you work with them this week. Imagine if you were born with AIDS yourself, and you went to Dr. Oz. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Oz. He comes on Oprah a lot. And um, let's say Doctor Oz has found a cure for AIDS. And then you ran into Stephen because Stephen is looking at you. Um, and Stephen had AIDS too. But you went to Doctor Oz. Doc Oz fixed you up, uh, and he gave you a cure for AIDS, and you had it in a vial. And then you went out and you saw Stephen suffering from the same symptoms of AIDS. Would you share the uh, antidote with him? Hopefully, all right, I see not. nod. Uh, Thaddeus, if you were in the same situation as Luke, um, You had AIDS, but then you got cured, and you saw Stephen or, let's say, Christopher suffering with the same thing. Would you share it with her? Wow. Christopher, I think you need to cut that French up there. (laughs) You'd share it with her. Everyone else, would you share with someone who had AIDS, if you had it as well, and you knew that you had the cure? you were convinced that that vial that you had could save that person's life. Would you share it? A little more convincing. Come on. You would share it. All right. Well, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to page 1050. Uh, for those of you that don't have my version, I am reading from Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read the first five verses for you. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine." Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you are to keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. just want to break it down for you. Uh, I think the first two verses lets us know what God requires of us as Christians to do. He says he wants us to preach or to proclaim his word. And we are to do this with a sense of urgency, taking advantage of every opportunity. It's said that the message is open season all the time. So it's not like the NBA, and I think they have 82-game season, not sure. And then there's an off-season. It's done all the time. So there's never an off-season for sharing. So you hunters out there looking for Brother Lindsey, who you know, fishes sometimes, he knows probably the seasons. Sharing the gospel is a constant thing all the time. We're also called to correct or rebuke that means we are to correct that which is false. Uh, that's false teaching. And we can't correct something that we really don't know, the truth. Um, we also are to in, exhort or encourage. We are to encourage non-believers to place faith in Jesus Christ. And we are to encourage believers to continue living that lifestyle. And we are to do all this with a sense of patience or long-suffering. And we are to teach sound doctrine. or It says here, careful instruction of sound doctrine. So we are to teach the truth. In verse 3 it goes on to say why we should do it it says there will be a general turning away from the truth it says that people will develop a distaste or disgust for sound doctrine fully shunning those who teach the truth and their ears will itch meaning they need q-tips theirs will itch for, or crave for doctrine that is pleasing or comfortable to them and to satisfy their insatiable thirst for these gratifying doctrines they will gather to themselves some teachers who will tell them what they want to hear who are these teachers? maybe it can be your professors or teachers in school Maybe some politicians entertainers, celebrities, just different people in authority who we as the the public, I guess, we listen to them. If you don't believe me, I can tell you a story about uh, a friend of mine in school, her name is Sarah, and we were talking on Amazon Messenger, most of you probably Amazon, Uh, and she said she likes Buddhism. I said, why? She said she likes it because they talk about auras and she's into karma. So I said, okay is, you know, that's it? And she said, yeah, well, you have your beliefs and I have mine, as if they are equal. We live in a very tolerant or, I guess, pluralistic society. Uh, The definition of tolerance, I believe, has been changed or contorted to mean something uh, to the effect of everyone's belief or ideals and principles are equal in value and that truth is relative. Where I grew up with the definition, especially according to Wendley Fowler, where truth is, at least uh, tolerance, is something where you respect another person's beliefs or ideals or lifestyle without sharing those particular beliefs or lifestyle. You might see it as wrong, but you respect the person anyway. Um, so that's just for, in case you guys doubt me. But I believe those people who accept doctrine that isn't true, they, they do it because of verse 4. It says that they have a lust for their um, inoffensive uh, teaching because it will turn, but it's something that the heirs itch for. So basically, it's, it's not convicting to them. But it's something they want to hear, so they want to accept it. So they'll, you know, uh, gather someone and say, Hey, look, come and say this. I like that. I'm going to go with it. They'll run with it. Uh, and that's, that's not true. In verse 5, it says to be vigilant and be serious, because we, are, we know that we'll encounter people like this. And it says that we will encounter some hardships. So we are not to run from persecution or affliction. And it says we are to share our, in our suffering for Christ willingly. We should be willing to take up this slack this even though it might be tough. But sometimes I think um, we as Christians, we, we don't want to share. Uh, we, you know, we might have some reservations about that. So I, I just want to talk to you about why we as Christians we don't share. I think one of the primary reasons could be that we feel that we don't know. We don't know how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We might feel like I can't just walk up to someone and say, "Hey." You know, how about those apostles? You know, that kind of come across kind of awkward. But we might have those reservations like, I don't know how to begin a spiritual conversation or entertain it. Is that an excuse for not doing it? No, I see a nod like, yeah. Well, uh, I think Peter says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15-18, says something to the effect of that we should always be willing to give a reason for the hope that is in us. So I think Peter is already telling us, you will encounter those situations where you will run into people we're gonna question you and you should be prepared how do you be prepared you can study the Bible I think a lot of Christians we we don't a lot of people say hey we're Christians but we really don't study the Word I think here at Calvary Bible we have a, a wide array of things to, for you to do you have youth group, Awana for children, uh, discovery classes, Sunday school programs even the teaching here uh, at Calvary Bible I think is really good so I think you can prepare um, to be able to speak the Word of God I also believe that people are afraid of social ostracism, meaning that they, they don't want to make a situation socially awkward for the person they're sharing with, or the people listening nearby. So if I was talking to Terence about some spiritual matters, I don't want uh, Joy over there to walk by and say, okay, what's he talking about, you know, Christian freak or something like that. You, people feel that, you know, that they don't want to share because they don't want to place, a, I guess, undue pressure on someone else. So they're afraid of making a situation socially awkward. Uh, How many of you have ever felt that way, that you didn't want to share because you didn't want to make the mood, you know, kind of uncomfortable for someone? I see one eye, I see a few. Okay, I see a lot. Well, guess what? You aren't the only people who have felt this way before. Uh, I want you guys to turn with me to Jeremiah, chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. I'm going to read from verse 7 to 11. It says, well, I'll wait for you to get there. By the way, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. It's not necessarily because he was a crybaby, but He really cared for his people, and he understood God's word, and the people really didn't get the message, so he was weeping for them. Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. It says, O Lord, you persuaded me, and I followed, and I allowed myself to be persuaded. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. When I am mocked by everyone in the city, wherever I speak, the words come out in violent outbursts. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. Just looking at that first, uh, those first verses, uh, verses seven and eight, you already see Jeremiah feels like God has tricked him in some way, like God has duped him into sharing the word. I believe Jeremiah's message in this particular portion is about the Babylonian uh, captivity, but he feels that you know God has duped him into sharing the word of God, um, and as a result of that, or I think the reason why he feels that way is because he's being mocked by everyone in town. Um, people think he's a household joke. You know, I don't think anyone wants to feel uh, like a, like a, I guess, a joke or someone laughing at you all the time. In verse nine, he gives me some comfort hearing this from Jeremiah. It says, "And I can't stop. And if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak His name, His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am weary of holding it in." So I see here that despite his feeling that you know God might have duped him into sharing his word, and despite the pressures from people laughing at him, that passion that he has for God, that fire inside of him, that burns inside his heart, that's shut up in his bones, that, that I guess that passion for God overwhelms his fear of social ostracism. So he is not going to allow it to uh, hinder his message or his word. It says in verse 10, I've heard many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. And I, That's a very long um, I guess insult the man who lives in terror. Nowadays, we don't insult people that long. It says, they call me the man who lives in terror. And they say, if if you say anything, we will report it. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. He will trap himself, they say, and then we will take our revenge on him. I like verse 11. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him they will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will be ashamed and thoroughly humiliated humiliated. So despite the rumors going around, so he knows people are talking about him, making fun of him, despite the rumors, even his friends. his friends, He says old friends there. I think some of your versions might say all of his friends. Even though his friends are waiting for him to slip up and mess up, he knows that God is with him. He's not alone in sharing this message. And he knows that with God on his side or God with him, that he can do all things. I think sometimes as Christians we forget that, but maybe that might not be one of the reasons why you don't share. Um, one of them could be that you're, you have a short testimony, or I, I like to term it uh, suicidal character assassination, meaning that you don't live out the Christian lifestyle. And so in any attempt to share with someone the Christian faith, they probably won't believe you anyway. They'll look at you and say, well, you know, you really don't live the life, so who are you to tell me about Jesus Christ? Mohandas Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians, for your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Those are pretty tough words for me to swallow, you know? I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, for your Christians are so unlike your Christ. It's pretty tough. I want to tell you guys a story. Some of you have heard it before. It's about a beautiful girl and her mom. Uh, I see some people trying to figure out who I'm talking about, but I'll tell you in a bit. This beautiful girl lived at home in a single parent house with her mom. Her mom had scars on her neck and her arms. Um, Their home relationship was pretty good. Uh, The daughter and the mom, they got along well. She washed the dishes. Everything was fine. But whenever they went out in public, people would look at her mother and gasp at the scars, you know, like making comments. Wow, ew, yuck, gross. So the daughter was really self-conscious about that, and she became embarrassed. She said, Mom, you're embarrassing me. So she decided that she would go down to the mall, Marathon Mall, and get some some gloves and a scarf. Now remember, we do live in the Bahamas, but she decided that her mom needs scarves and gloves just to cover it up. So she gave it to her mom. Whenever her mom would, let's say, drop her to school, the mom was wearing it, everything was fine for her daughter. But if the mom forgot to wear the gloves and the scarves, she'd say, Mom, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. How dare you come up, you know, in front of my friends like that? You're embarrassing me. So one day, the girl graduated high school. And she went to the prom, she didn't go to soccer. Uh So, just for you guys who like sock, I'm sorry. She didn't go to sock, but she went to the prom at the Hilton. Um, she showed up there, and she had a nice entourage. And I remember guys, I said she's a beautiful girl. So as she stepped out the car, everyone gasped. You know, her beauty hushed the crowd. And you know we as maimans we gather to see the prom. So her beauty hushed the crowd. So everyone is silent like, oh. And then off in the distance, you know, just right off in the corner, yeah, that's my baby, you know? So everyone turns to see, you know, who said that? So everyone's looking. And then when they look, they see in the corner, they see the, the mother who's standing there, happy, excited, but she was scarfless and gloveless. And there she is standing, yes, that's my baby. She looks so good. So the daughter realizes that's her mom, and she looks at her mom, and she feels embarrassed. She can hear the murmuring in the crowd. Even her prom date, you know, he kind of cringes like, whoa, you know? So she feels embarrassed. So let's just say she had a tense night after that. It wasn't a good prom night. So she went home really upset. Mom, how dare you show up you know, to the prom like that? All my friends were there. Everyone in my class saw you. You really embarrassed me. So her mom started to cry and said, you know, I'll tell you about how I got these scars. She said, many years ago when you were a baby and you were sleeping in your crib, a fire must have broken out in the apartment. And I was in my room and you were sleeping in yours, but I heard your cry. So I got up ran to your room, and I saw the flames engulfing your blanket, but you were in there. So I, you know, tried to put it out, and my hands got burned in the process. But that's okay, because you were fine. I gathered you up, I checked you out, and you were fine. So when I turned to run to the door, the the doorway was engulfed in flames, and so was the stairwell. But that was the only way out, so I gathered you close to my chest, tucked my head in, made a run for the door. And as I made a run for the door, I can feel some of the debris from the roof falling on my neck, and I could smell my, my hair burning. I could feel my skin dropping from my skin, my skin dropping from my body. But she said, that's all right, you know, you are doing well. So I made a way out, ran downstairs, and I passed out on the the ground. That's the last thing I remember before waking up in the hospital. And when I woke up, I said, hey, where's my baby? So the doctors brought you in, and I checked you out. They said you were fine, but you know me, I had to make sure. So I checked you out myself, and I realized you were okay when the daughter had heard this story, she started to cry. So basically the daughter and the mother are now having a lifetime television moment. They're crying together. And uh, the daughter told her mother some very powerful words. She said, Mom, I never want you to wear those gloves and that scarf again. I don't want you to hide your beautiful scars. You see, because the daughter, I think she appreciated what her mother did for her. So whenever they went out in public after that, on the street walking, and people would look and gasp at her mother in disgust, she'd walk up to them and say, hey, let me tell you about my mother's beautiful scars. It's because the daughter appreciated what her mother did. She understood that those scars, at least those scars to the daughter, represented her mother's sacrificial love. And I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, when you're at home, or here in church, at youth group, or, WANA, or in a Christian setting, it's just like being at home with your mom, the daughter and her mother being at home. It's, it's fine. It's a good thing. You can talk about your mom. You can communicate with her. But when you walk out these doors or when you go to school or go to work, you want to, you know, cover Jesus up, put on some gloves. You know, I know people know I'm a Christian, but I don't have to force it down someone's throat. You know, wear the scarf, Jesus. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be seen. But I think you're forgetting one important thing. All of us were born unsaved. All of us were doomed to hell, as it were. Um, But Jesus heard our cry before we even, you know, knew we were in trouble. So just like that little girl was, was crying in her crib, and the mother heard her cry, Jesus Christ heard our cry in our sinful state. And you know what he did? I think Philippians says it well. You know, he, he left heaven, he gave up his rights as God, made himself nothing just to come for you. So when he heard you cry, he came running too. And when he came, he, he got teased. He got spit upon, slapped, kicked, cursed. He was whipped, uh given a crown of thorns. they pierced his hands and feet. But he said, you know, that's okay. I'm doing it for my baby. And he he views you as beautiful in his sight once you place faith in him. So now I think I have a greater appreciation when I hear a story like that. Um, I I think it's a good matchup with our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you guys to feel the same way I do about it, that the scars and the blood of Jesus Christ are just as precious to me as the mother's scars were to her daughter, at least at the end of the story. That's, that's a reason enough to share. Um, I, I think if we had that in mind, we'd understand what Jeremiah is talking about here. Um, despite people laughing at him, uh, despite his friends against him, despite the rumors, he says that the, the fire is still inside his heart. It's shut up in his bones. So it's... Uh, almost like how many guys know the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four? I know Stephen knows him. All right, some of you, the Human Torch. You ever watch him say "Flame on"? It, you know, it just comes up. That's that's the same way I think Jeremiah is talking about here. So I, I think Jeremiah was the first Human Torch. You know, he has that passion, that fire, and he can't contain it. He says there in verse, uh, I believe it is ten or in verse nine, he says, "I'm wary of holding it in," and he he just has to share it. If we really appreciated who we are in Jesus Christ, we should feel the need to share His word. Some of you might be wondering, okay, how do, how do I do that, Drew? That's, that's a nice thing to say, you know, but it's tough. Well, I think one of the first things you can do, it's not really hard um, for some of you. Maybe Anissa, it might be a little difficult. Sorry, Anissa, just kidding. Uh, but we can listen. First, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 says that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I think a lot of times as Christians we feel as if we should be defensive. Uh, Terrence and I were talking about that on Tuesday. As if we should be defensive about our Christian faith, you have to have an answer or find a scripture verse. You know, but all you have to do, I think, initially, is just listen to someone else. You let them talk. But I, but I want you guys to still lead the conversation because we know people talk a lot of foolishness. And they run on with all kinds of things. Um, at least with all kind of unimportant or unnecessary chatter. But lead your discussions by the questions that you ask. So I think in listening and asking questions, if you listen to them, they'll feel appreciated. Uh, there was a senator from California, I believe in the 1970s, 1977 to 1983. His name was Senator Heakawa. He said the funny thing about human beings is that they tend to listen, they tend to respect the intelligence of, and they eventually start to like those people who listen attentively to what they have to say. I hope you guys got that. We as human beings tend to, you didn't get it, all right. Uh, We as human beings tend to respect the intelligence of, and we eventually start to like, those people who listen to our ideas attentively, even if they don't share those opinions. Because listening shows that we care. And in showing that you care to someone, um, it builds some relationships. And let's be honest, your, uh, your acquaintances really don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. So when you listen, you're building a relationship with them that will eventually Provide you the opportunity of bringing up spiritual matters or spiritual conversation. Uh, I mentioned you should ask some questions. Uh, trying to make sure I covered everything here tonight. Um, yeah, and once you've developed a friendship with someone, uh, I don't think you would be afraid to speak honestly and openly uh, with them about any particular subject because they're your friend. If you do feel some reservation. You, know, you might want to check yourself, might want to check the friendship if you don't feel as if you can speak openly and freely. But I have a verse for you in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Now, you don't have to turn there. But it says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wow. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Because no one benefits from you keeping quiet about something that you find wrong. It's better that you share it with someone. It follows up with verse 6 saying that wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses." Basically, I understand this to mean that a true friend is willing to risk your your ego or bruising your ego in order to give you some good or constructive criticism. So though your friend may not like the words that he hears, he knows that what you say can be trusted or that you have his best interest in heart, even if he doesn't initially share those beliefs or opinions. I think that's important as well. I think lastly, uh, or in conclusion, best or most important things is for us to, I guess, shame Mahatma Gandhi and we can live out our Christian lifestyle. Uh, I'm talking to a guy at work. His name is Mr. Delancey. Uh, He has some strange beliefs. Uh, He's not really a Rastafarian, but he holds some of their tenets and beliefs uh, about God and Jesus Christ. And He says that he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. I said, okay. And people at work, they'll they'll always tease him Because sometimes in the morning, if you have a meeting, they may pray. And they'll say, I wonder who's going to pray for us today. And they'll say, hey, let's get Mr. DeLancey to pray for us. Knowing that he wouldn't pray because he really doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Um, Now, personally, I I wouldn't do that to someone. Just to, you know, put him on the spot like that. Uh, To me, it's almost like you're playing with Jesus. Like, hey, you're going to pray to Jesus? Um, But he told me on Monday this week that he respects me. Because I don't harass him. For not believing in Jesus Christ. At least not Jesus Christ is God. And he said, he, he wouldn't say that he doesn't believe in Jesus. He says that he just doesn't believe that Jesus is God. He just believed Jesus was a smart guy. Had a lot of good things to say. Um, so though that, it still bothers me that he holds that opinion. I still want to continue talking with him. Just listening to what he has to say. He said he respects me because I, I do listen to him. A lot of people just uh, look at him and say, Oh, you don't believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus or... We need to throw some holy oil on you, or some holy water. You know, sprinkle you. Um, they almost commercialize Jesus. Is he? He's some sort of car wash. You know, just will clean you up. Um, so that, that meant a lot to me this week. But I, I still think he has some some issues to work out. Because when Terrence came to pick me up uh, for lunch, we went to lunch. Quiz notes for anyone wondering. Um, Terrence picked me up and we left. When I came back. He said, Who's that guy you know, that you went with? I said, Oh, that's my, my youth pastor. He said, Oh, this is a surprise to Terrence as well. He said, I thought that was a Mormon. I said, Why? <laughs> He's like, Well, you know, these people, they have these strange um, biblical beliefs because Mr. Delancey is of the opinion that white people apparently changed the Bible and that black people who are Christians are somehow in the dark, kind of thing, that we've been duped or tricked. Um, and he, he, reads a, he says he reads a lot of books. I just like to ask him, what books do you read? And who wrote it? When was it written? And he'll just be like, Books, Mandrew, books. I go to the library, as if that answers my question. Uh, but I'll, I'll keep at it and I'll let you guys know how it goes. But I think a very practical way for you to, to share the gospel, live it out, if you actually do have a chance to speak with people, listen to what they have to say. In listening, I know people talk a lot, so you might want to slow them down. You ask questions. And if you have to, you pull out a pen and paper and say, hey, wait, 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 where'd you get that from? Let, let me write that down and say, okay, who said that? When they say that, what's the book? Just to slow them down because people keep talking, you might feel overwhelmed if you just hear them talking all the time. So listen, ask good questions, build relationships in your listening because people really respect you if you listen to them. So when, that, that'll almost provide you the privilege of speaking or being heard with them as well. Uh, now I'm going to share a video with you about an atheist. Uh, Tarrant shared this with me as well. His name is Penn Gillette. I hope I pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, And he has some pretty, I guess, convicting things to say. Uh, He uses the word proselytizing. I take that to mean, at least in the the way he's using it, just evangelism. Uh, But I just want you to listen to what he has to say. Uh, I don't believe uh, that that he fully understands the Bible, and you'll hear it from one of his comments. Uh, But that's okay. I just want you to, you know, listen to what he has to say, and then I'll come back and pray. Thank you, guys. I want to
1: talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, uh, as I have mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, eh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And, uh, uh I saw the show and I liked it and I wanted And he was very complimentary about my use of language and, um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. But he said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New Just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not uh, defensive and he looked me right in the eyes and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, Uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that, uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and uh, that's really important, and with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who
0: gave me that book.
1: That's all I wanted to say.
0: Did you get it? The same charge that Paul gave to Timothy. And the same message, uh, I guess, that Jeremiah felt pressing on his heart to share with his people. You'll have to go out and do it. Remember that verse I read for you in Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 27, beginning at verse 5 through 6. Verse 6 says, as I said before, that the wounds of a friend can be trusted, but the kisses of an enemy are many, or an enemy multiplies kisses. As a Christian, I believe that when you do not share your faith, or when you don't live it out, it's almost like you're kissing, or you young people, you know, making out, um, with the people you come into contact with. Because you're not telling them, you know, I think you're doing something wrong. You're watching them moseying on down to hell, and you're just saying, "Eh, see you later, you know, see you tomorrow at school. As a Christian, I I believe if you look at it in the sense that almost you're your enemy, or you're their enemy, and just as Mr. Penn said just now, even, even if he doesn't believe it, I think, I think that's pretty powerful that he got it, that we should still be out there doing it. I think Jehovah Witnesses do a pretty good job of that. And they, you know, they go door to door. We might laugh at them and you know lock the door when we see them coming. But they have the right idea that their message is so important that they don't want you to let it go. So as Christians, I want us to rise up and as we step out the doors, as we leave Calvary, you know, it's nice to talk about Christ in here. But when we go to work, let's talk about him. You don't have to just, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Just ask some questions about their life. Hey, how's you know, life going? You know, what happened this weekend? Just start off something general. That can lead into conversations, And just listen to what they have to say. I think if you listen, it'll build those relationships. And when you build those relationships, it'll provide you the opportunity of sharing the gospel and speaking with them. So let's pray. All right? our Heavenly Father, you, you've heard the word tonight. I pray that you touch each and every one of us to go out and do what it says. If an atheist can realize that it, it's important, if we as Christians see something is so important that we should share it, let us see it as well. Let us go out and share the word of God. Let us live a good lifestyle so that all the world will see that you are our father. Let us shine that light that that is mentioned in Peter. Let's not hide it under a bowl. Let's shine it so all can see it and say, hey, this person is different. And they'll glorify you for it. In your name I pray. Amen.